For William Shakespeare, the theatre was an apt metaphor of life. He called us actors playing various roles. And when the curtain falls, it all comes to an end. You know, the play Macbeth that Shakespeare wrote is a tragedy where the title character kills the king and usurps the throne. And the ambitious Macbeth expects to gain everything. But in the end, he loses everything. And at the end of his life, Macbeth laments the emptiness of his own life. And looking back on his life, he says these words, Life's but a walking shadow a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. I think it's quite striking that Moses as well pondered the frailty of man in Psalm 90, the only psalm that Moses ever wrote. Speaking of God in Psalm 90, Moses says these words, You return man to dust. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream. Maybe Moses had Pharaoh in mind as he wrote this psalm. Before the great and sovereign God, even the most powerful man of the most powerful nation on earth at that time is as nothing. Exodus is an epic in the true sense of the word. And in this epic, God, not man, is the main character. And we're beginning to see the drama of redemption unfold as we make our way through the book of Exodus. I think increasingly we see the power of the sovereign God standing in sharp contrast to Pharaoh's impotence. We're meant to walk away as we read the book of Exodus with this view that there is none like the Lord. There's truly none like the Lord. John Calvin's masterpiece, The Institutes of the Christian Religion, begins with these words. Calvin wrote, True and sound wisdom consists of two parts. Part one, the knowledge of God, and the second part, the knowledge of ourselves. And Exodus 7 to 10, which is our passage for today, helps us to know God as well as to know ourselves. And this is really the big idea of our passage. The plagues reveal the glory of the sovereign Lord, and the stubbornness of our sin. The plagues reveal the glory of the sovereign Lord and the stubbornness of our sin. So just two points as we work our way through the passage. Number one, the Lord is sovereign, and number two, sin is stubborn. And I pray that as we see God's greatness, and as as well as we see our own weaknesses, we will turn to Him in humble worship and faith. So this passage is found on page 46 of our Pew Bible, so you'd be helped if you have a Bible in front of you. We're going to do a lot of reading. We're going to read the whole passage that, we'll be preach- that I'll be preaching on this morning, so it would be helpful if you have your Bibles in front of you and you can follow along as I read the different sections. So number one, the Lord is sovereign. Let me begin by reading from chapter 7, verse 8 to 13. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, Then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh that they may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. So this drama begins with a showdown between Moses and Pharaoh. Pharaoh, skeptical of Moses and Aaron, demands that they prove themselves by working a miracle. So Aaron duly obliges, he throws down his staff, which transforms into a serpent. And this sign establishes Moses and Aaron's credentials. Whatever God says, They say they are his appointed spokesmen. But Egypt's magicians did the same by their secret arts. You know, they may have done this by some trick or illusion or even perhaps by demonic power. You know, regardless of how they produce the serpents, Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. I think this foreshadows 
the sea swallowing up Egypt's army. Later on, we'll read in chapter 14. You know, an image of the serpent adorned Pharaoh's crown. So by defeating the magician's serpents, this was a very strong message to Pharaoh that this God is powerful. And this God is superior to Egypt's king. However, Pharaoh is unimpressed. He ignores the sign that he had asked for. And he's rejecting the Lord's prophet. But actually more than that, he's rejecting the Lord himself. In chapter 5, verse 2, we had read about how Pharaoh had thrown down the gauntlet with these defiant words to Moses. If you remember chapter 5, verse 2, he said, Who is the Lord? Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. So we're about to come to a part in Exodus where the Lord responds to Pharaoh's question. The Lord rises to the challenge, so to speak, and he addresses Pharaoh's challenge. You know, what we're going to read about in chapter 7 to 15, it's really how the Lord responds to this challenge, right? Who is the Lord? And the Lord says, really? Do you really want to know? The Lord will show, Pharaoh's, the Lord will show Pharaoh who's boss. I think this tells us that the Lord must be worshipped. We can either know him as our saviour, or he shall confront us as our judge. You know, either way, the Lord must be worshipped. You know, Mark said in his sermon last week that when we fear man, people are big and God is small. What people think, say, or do matters more to us than trusting and obeying God. So how, how do we fight the fear of man? We need to see that God is big and people are small. And the ten plagues help us to see this very clearly. Their purpose is to make known that the Lord alone is God. That's their purpose. We're meant to see from these ten plagues that the Lord rules over all. You know, in fact, the, the word plague isn't used very much to describe the ten plagues. Uh, the, the word that the Bible uses more, not more commonly to describe what's happening are signs and wonders. These are signs and wonders. And then when you, hear, when you hear the word sign, immediately you think, okay, the sign is meant to point to something. Well, in this case, the signs are meant to point to someone. We're meant to see again and again through these 10 signs and wonders who God is and, and who and how small we are in light of this big God. Uh, these signs testify that the Lord is the great I Am. He is the sovereign creator as well as the faithful Redeemer. And He keeps His covenant promises to save His people. And the Lord makes Himself known, very graciously makes Himself known that we might worship Him, that we might trust Him, that we might obey Him. A very fundamental question that all of us will have to contend with is this, do we know the Lord? Do we know the Lord? as He's revealed Himself to us in His Word. Now, some of us may, may be wondering, you know, is God rather full of Himself? Is this God rather egotistical? Right? He talks so much about His glory, talks so much about people getting to know Him. You know, if, if I were to say that, right? Well, you all have to get to know me, you all have to glorify me, I mean, that would make me, rightly so, guilty of pride and self-centeredness. You know, if, if any of us were to say that, I mean, that would... You know, we would sound very socially awkward. <laughs> no, but we have to realize that God is not like us. Because only He is truly worthy of worship. For, for me to claim that kind of esteem would be out of place. But for God to do so, it is entirely right and good. Because only He is worthy of worship. But, but even more than that, He made us to glorify Him and to enjoy Him forever. You know, in fact, I put it to us that to truly have joy is to do what we were made to do. That's how we experience true joy. We do what we were made to do. So in, in worshipping the Lord, in giving Him all the glory, we are simply 
doing what He created us for. And in this, friends, in this is true joy. In this is life. In this is hope and peace. When we do what our Maker has made us for, we experience the freedom that is rightly ours because we know the Lord. So for us to worship God doesn't make God selfish. His glory is our good. That's so helpful for us to think about. His glory is our good. So when we glorify Him, we're not doing something that is bad for us. No, we're doing something that is wonderfully rich and good for our souls. His glory is our good, for He shares the blessing of His glory with us. That's really the heart of the gospel. We shall become like Him because He gave His Son for us. His glory is our good. And in fact, apart from Him, as Macbeth said, lives by the walking shadow. We were shadow of ourselves without the one who made us. So don't believe the devil's lie. Don't believe the lie that you find your happiness, you find your joy, you find your contentment apart from God. That's a lie. That's a satanic lie. We worship God because that's what God made us for. And here in Exodus, He graciously reveals Himself to us that we might do what is right. Because this is what we were made for, friends. And the nine plagues are organized in well, the first nine plagues are organized in three sets of three. So in the first set, the Nile is turned to blood, frogs fill Egypt, followed by countless gnats, probably like mosquitoes. In the second set, Egypt is overrun by swarms of flies, the livestock of Egypt die, all the Egyptians suffer from boils and sores. In the third set, hail kills people and livestock destroys crops. Locusts consume what's left of Egypt's plants, and a dreadful darkness envelops the land. So three sets of threes. And the plagues are God's judgment upon Egypt and upon Egypt's gods. Why, why 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 is Egypt being judged? Well, Pharaoh has oppressed the Israelites, God's people. Pharaoh has killed their children and enslaved them unjustly, put them to forced labor, I think this is of great comfort to us, beloved, because God knows the suffering of His people. God knows when we suffer injustice, whether in our workplaces, whether in our families, whether in society at large, God knows when His people suffer injustice. And His perfect righteousness, His perfect justice is our hope and our comfort. So instead of taking matters into our own hands, Instead of trying to fix things ourselves, we can trust the judge of all the earth to do what is right, to do what is just. We can rest in Him. Even amidst great suffering and hardship, we can rest in Him. In fact, these plagues in Exodus, they foreshadow the final judgment when God will finally put right all the wrongs. In fact, if you read the book of Revelation and you read the description of the judgments in Revelation, that there's a lot of the bor- that Revelation borrows a lot of Exodus language in describing the final judgment. So these plagues that we read about here foreshadow that final judgment. And in each set of plagues, so in each set of threes, warning is given before the first two plagues, but no warning before the third. So that's the pattern that we see across these three sets. Warning for the first two plagues, no warning for the third, and that repeats three times. We also see how, or maybe this, this point about no warnings perhaps is making the point that if we keep ignoring the warnings, judgment will finally overtake us. So we keep neglecting God's gracious warnings, then we'll be surprised when judgment finally comes. Another pattern that we see in these groups of three is that the plagues grow more and more severe, culminating in the tenth plague. You notice it's three groups of three and then one plague at the end. And the way it's, the way it's structured that way is to highlight what's happening in the tenth plague. That's the climax of God's judgment 
on Egypt, the death of the firstborn. And these plagues show that the Lord is sovereign. So when we talk about God's sovereignty, we simply are saying that God rules, that He's over all, He's in control of all things, He stands as supreme creator of the whole universe, and therefore He is in complete and absolute control of everything that happens. So these signs show the Lord's sovereignty. Particularly, they show that He's sovereign in purpose, He's sovereign in power, He's sovereign in mercy, and He's sovereign over all the nations. So let's look at this point in, in these sub-points. Number one, sovereign in purpose. Let me read from 7 verse 14 to 8 verse 19, reading about the first set of three plagues. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened, he refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water. Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him. And take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. And you shall say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. The fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, their canals, and their ponds, and all their pools of water, so that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. In the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, he lifted up the staff and struck the water in the Nile, and all the water in the Nile turned into blood. And the fish in the Nile died, and the Nile stank, so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the Nile. Seven full days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. The Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come up into your house and into your bedroom, and on your bed, and into the houses of your servants and your people, and into your ovens and your kneading bowls. The frog shall come up on you and on your people and on all your servants. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the canals, and over the pools, and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But the magicians did the same thing, by their secret arts, made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, Be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and for your servants and for your people, that the frogs be cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile. And he said, Tomorrow. Moses said, Be it as you say so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs shall go away from you and your houses and your servants and your people. They shall be left only in the Nile. So Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried to the Lord about the frogs, as he had agreed with Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. The frogs died out in the houses, the courtyards, and the fields, and they gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. But when, Mo but when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth, so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth. And there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. You know, one 
recurring pattern in these 10 plagues is they're all introduced by this one statement. The Lord said, the Lord said, the Lord said, the Lord said. So his word to Moses and Aaron begins each sign. I think this shows that the Lord is in control in all of these signs. He speaks and initiates his plan to save his people. And the the Lord's sovereignty is our anchor amid the storms of life. We can trust him to work all things for our good. He is in control. And Moses and Aaron are to faithfully deliver God's message to Pharaoh. Let my people go that they may serve me. So that message they faithfully deliver. And throughout the ten plagues, I think it's striking that both Moses and Aaron do just as the Lord commands. You see that being said in 7 verse 20. They did just as the Lord commanded. I think even in this, you you see the transformation in Moses himself. He's gone from being a reluctant servant to an obedient prophet by the grace of God. And in this message to Pharaoh, God is emphasizing how Israel is his firstborn son, as he said so in Exodus chapter 4. Israel is the Lord's firstborn son, and because the Lord is a faithful father to his son, he keeps his covenant with Abraham, and his purpose is to save Israel from slavery to service. The Lord will redeem Israel in such a way as to show his glory to Pharaoh. The Lord says before the first sign in 7 verse 17, he says to Pharaoh, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile and it shall turn into blood. So through the Lord's judgments, Pharaoh will come to know the power and authority of the Lord. And then in these signs, the Lord is helping them to see, helping Pharaoh and Egypt to see that their so-called gods are but idols with no power to save. You know, the Egyptians worshipped the life-giving Nile. But here, in the very first sign, the Lord can take the life-giving Nile and turn it into a blood-red river of death. He is sovereign even over life and death itself. Then in the second sign, when the Lord plagues Egypt with frogs, Pharaoh pleads for relief. The Lord listens to Moses' pleas on Pharaoh's behalf. And the Lord removes the frogs at exactly the time requested by Pharaoh. Why does the Lord do that? Again, it's to show Pharaoh that there is no one like the Lord our God. This God is unique. The Egyptians may have considered Pharaoh to be a God, but even he must submit to the Lord. God is God, and we are not. So this Lord is sovereign in his purpose. Next, we'll see how the Lord is sovereign in power as well. Let me read from verse, chapter 8, verse 20, into chapter 9, verse 12. Chapter 8, verse 20, the second set of plagues. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. Or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses. And the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell, so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus I will put the division between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall happen. And the Lord did so. There came, there came great swarms of flies into the, houses of, into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses. Throughout all the land of Egypt, the land was ruined by the swarms of flies. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice to your God within the land. But Moses said, It would not be right to do so, for the offerings we shall sacrifice to the Lord our God are an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice offerings abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? We must go three days' journey into the wilderness 
and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he tells us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only you must not go very far. Plead for me. Then Moses said, Behold, I am going out from you and I will plead with the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants and from his people tomorrow. Only not let Pharaoh cheat again by not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord, and the Lord did as Moses asked, and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants and from his people. Not one remained, but Pharaoh hardened his heart, this time also, and did not let the people go. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. And the Lord set a time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. And the next day the Lord did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead, but the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take handfuls of soot from the kiln, and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. It shall become fine dust over all the land of Egypt and become boils breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So they took soot from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses threw it in the air, and it became boils breaking out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils came up upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. So one thing we notice in this second set of signs is that the plagues are becoming more severe. If you think about the first set of plagues, you have well, Nile turning into blood, frogs, mosquitoes, gnats. You know, they, they were somewhat annoying, right? You know, the, the Egyptians had to look for water somewhere else. You know, having lots of frogs in your houses, not, not the most nice thing. Uh, mosquitoes, who likes mosquitoes, right? So just very annoying plagues. But in this second set of plagues, you, you see how the stakes are getting higher. For the first time, things are starting to die, right? So the livestock is killed. By, by God. The, the fifth plague kills Egypt's livestock. And, and then the, the people themselves are be, beginning to feel the effects of the plagues in a very personal way. The sixth plague afflicts the Egyptians and the animals with boils that break out in painful sores. So we begin to see the plagues getting worse and worse. You know, C.S. Lewis said these famous words. He said, pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So as, as the pain increases, God is turning up the volume. Right? He, he's speaking louder and louder to Egypt and to us. You notice how in these signs, you know, what God says he will do, right? You see, you see that pattern? God says, I'll bring this sign tomorrow. And then it says, tomorrow the Lord did just as he said. Uh, the Lord's not making empty threats. The, these plagues are signs and indications that judgment will come. Judgment will come just as the Lord has said. And, and God is trying to get the attention of Pharaoh and Egypt. Now, friends, how is God using our trials to get our attention? How might we be in dire need to turn back to Him? You know, that difficulty that you experience at work, that difficult relationship that you have, whether with a spouse or with a child or with a parent, 
You know, friends, how is God using the trials in our life to get our attention, to call us back to Himself? You know, how are we listening to Him? Are we listening to Him as He speaks to us in our pain? The Lord is sovereign in power, and as the plagues grow worse, you notice how the magicians become increasingly helpless. You know, at first, with, with, with the staff, then with the water turning to blood, and then the frogs. You, the magicians were able to replicate the signs. But, but now, you, you see that the, the magicians have increasingly no power to re- replicate the signs. And in fact, the irony is that the imitation signs that they perform only add to the problem. All they can do is increase the number of frogs. <laughs> they can't take them away. You know, recently I had a problem with a leaky tap in my house. You know, I... I tried to fix it myself. I felt like one of these magicians. All I did was make the leak worse. So in the end, after spending some money on my own, I had to bring in a plumber. So he came in, he spent about five minutes. He said, you just need to tighten this. Said, oh, okay. I was, I was duly embarrassed, but hey, at least the leak was, was fixed. Right? And I think it's the same for these magicians. Right? They, they, they add to the problem, but they can't take the problem away. And finally, with the, with the plague of the boils, they, they can't even come to appear before Pharaoh because they have been so debilitated by the boils that they can't appear before Pharaoh. You know, they, they try to uh, produce the gnats, but they are, they are unable to and forced to concede defeat. They, they say to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. This is the Lord's doing. It is not man who has done this. The Lord is sovereign. In his power. The, the second set of plagues also emphasize how the Lord distinguishes between Egypt and Israel. You know, while Egypt is filled with swarms of flies, the Israelites are spared. And God says to Pharaoh, I will set apart the land of Goshen, where my people dwell, that, so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of of the earth. Same for the livestock as well. The Lord kills Egypt's livestock but spares Israel's animals. And we see this pattern again in the next set of plagues. In the seventh plague, hail fell upon the land of Egypt, but there was no hail in the land of Goshen where the Israelites lived. And then in the ninth plague, darkness falls over all of Egypt except where the people of Israel lived. I think in all this, God makes a distinction between Israel and Egypt, and He shows that He is sovereign in showing mercy. Now, we need to understand that it's not as if Israel deserved to escape the plagues. The Israelites were not more righteous than the Egyptians. In fact, if you read on in the rest of Exodus, you find Israel guilty of the very same sins of Egypt. They were guilty of unbelief, they complained, and they were guilty of idolatry as well. And Israel's firstborns escaped death only because of the blood of the Passover lamb. It's not because Israel themselves were deserving of God's mercy. But God makes a distinction simply by His grace, simply by His will. You know, like Israel, we are all undeserving beneficiaries of God's mercy. We have done nothing to earn our acceptance with God, not a single one of us. As Paul says in Romans 9, so then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills. This is very humbling, isn't it? We we don't come to God with our resumes, as as Mark mentioned last week. We don't come to Him thinking that we are qualified, but we come to Him as empty, broken sinners with nothing to commend ourselves to God. And our only hope is to cry out to Him for mercy. And our only hope is the sovereign mercy of God. Now, beloved, this is so humbling for us to consider that we deserve nothing from the Lord's hand, accept His judgment. But if He has shown us mercy, oh, friends, how then should we respond to Him 
with great worship and thanksgiving. And we receive mercy from Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. If we trust in Him to save us, we have all sinned against God. Like Egypt, we deserve judgment. But God, who is rich in mercy, sent His Son to bear God's judgment in our place so that through Jesus' death and resurrection, through the blood of this Passover lamb, we can be forgiven and made right with God. As Paul reminds us in Titus, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Saviour appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. Oh, beloved, let's praise God for His mercy to us. He is sovereign in mercy. Let me read from the third set of plagues. Reading from 9 verse 13 to 10 verse 29. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow, I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as never has been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now therefore send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter, for every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt on man and beast and every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his hands, his staff toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire ran down to the earth. And the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail, such as had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the land in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down everything, every plant of the field, and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord God. The flax and the barley were struck down, for the barley was in the ear and the flax was in bud. But the wheat and the emmer were not struck down, for they were late in coming up. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and stretched out his hands to the Lord. And the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain no longer poured upon the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart. He and his servants so the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron went in to Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your country and they shall cover the face of the land so that no one can see the land. And they shall eat what is left to you after the hail 
and they shall eat every tree of yours that grows in the field, and they shall fill your houses and the houses of all your servants and of all the Egyptians, as neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from the day they came on earth to this day. Then he turned and went from Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go serve the Lord your God. But which ones are to go? Moses said, We will go with our young and our old. We will go with our sons and daughters and with our flocks and herds, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. But he said to them, The Lord be with you if ever I let you and your little ones go. Look, you have some evil purpose in mind. No, go, the men among you, and serve the Lord, for that is what you are asking. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, so that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every plant in the land, all that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind had brought the locusts. The locusts came up over all the land of Egypt and settled on the whole country of Egypt, such a dense swarm of locusts as never had been before, nor ever will be again. They covered the face of the whole land so that the land was darkened, and they ate all the plants in the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. Not a green thing remained, neither tree nor plant of the field, through all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now therefore forgive my sin, please, only this once, and plead with the Lord your God to remove this death from me. So he went out from Pharaoh and pleaded with the Lord. And the Lord turned the wind into a very strong west wind, which lifted the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. Not a single locust was left in all the country of Egypt, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. But Moses said, You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof should be left behind, for we must take, them, take of them to serve the Lord our God. And we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take care never to see my face again. For on the day you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, As you say, I will not see your face again. So the third set of plagues highlight how the Lord is sovereign over the nations. Right? He rules over kings, even over their hearts. And throughout these nine plagues, it's repeatedly mentioned that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Three times, Pharaoh hardened his heart. He dug in his heels against God. Yet Pharaoh's resistance does not thwart the Lord's will. It's also stated three times that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. He, he gives Pharaoh over to his sin. You know, all this is a part of God's plan to glorify himself. And he will use Pharaoh's opposition as an opportunity to display his glory in judgment and salvation. You know, this is the reason for the plagues. You know, we may be wondering, why so many plagues? Why 10 signs? Why not just bring judgment just like that? And of course, God is well able to do that. You know, why does God have to put up with Pharaoh again and again and again? Where God actually tells us the reason in chapter 9, verse 15 and 16. Right? It says, For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off. But for this purpose I have raised you up, to show you my power. So the, the signs are, are God's opportunity to show His power, His sovereignty over the nations. And the Lord wants us to see that Pharaoh is not king, but the Lord is the Lord of all the earth. He's sovereign over the nations. And if we see that the Lord is sovereign in judgment, we will also realize that this same Lord is the one who saves. 
The one who judges is the one who saves. So our only hope is to look at the one who is sovereign over all, the judge as well as the saviour. As Isaiah chapter 45 says to us, turn, God says to us, turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. If we know that this God alone is God, then he is the only saviour that we can turn to. That's what we're meant to see as we see God's sovereignty over the nations. Ah, but sin is stubborn, isn't it? So last point, sin is stubborn. Pharaoh's responses show the stubbornness of human sin. You know, despite seeing the signs again and again, which are indisputable evidence of the Lord's judgment, Pharaoh refuses to acknowledge God. You, know, you, you see how sin is stubbornly irrational, it's unreasonable, and it's proud. Pharaoh insists on living in denial, even ignoring the suffering of his own people. You know, who cares if they can't drink water from the Nile? Pharaoh refuses to listen to his own magicians who tell him the gnats are the Lord's doing at the finger of God. He remains unmoved by the sight of Egypt's dead animals. You know, even his, his servants have to desperately try to make him see reason. Right? They say to him in chapter 10, do you not yet understand? that Egypt is ruined. You know, sin can blind us. In our pride, we refuse to acknowledge our wrong. You know, hard-hearted leaders inflict great pain on people. You know, right, right here in this church, I think you pray for your leaders, pray for us, that as we shepherd and pastor, we would have soft hearts to the Lord and His Word. Now, friends, do not harden your heart against the Lord. Sin is irrational and it's unreasonable. Living our way instead of God's way is the road to ruin. Sin is stubbornly unrepentant. Again and again, we see how Pharaoh tries to bargain with God. He says, well, Israel can offer sacrifices, but they can stay in Egypt. Or he says, Israel cannot go far away. And then he says, Israel's men can go, but not the young and old. And then he says the Israelites can go, but they have to leave their flocks and herds behind. You see him bargaining with the Lord again and again, not willing to fully obey what, his, what the Lord's Word says. I think this is very relatable to us. How do we also bargain with God? Do we obey only if God gives us what we want? Or do we give Him partial obedience? Because there's certain sins that we treasure and cherish much to give up? Do we rationalize and justify our obedience or our delayed obedience to God? For example, the, the promiscuous Augustine said before his conversion, or he prayed before his conversion, Lord, make me sexually pure, but not yet. Do we try to excuse our sins by saying, that's just me, I can't change, deal with it? You know, Pharaoh cares more about avoiding the consequences of sin than about avoiding sin. Once he had respite from the plague of frogs, he hardened his heart. Once the flies were removed, he returned to his rebellion against God. I think Pharaoh shows that there's a difference between true repentance and temporary remorse. His remorse is shallow and short-lived. The the devastating hail prompts Pharaoh to say, hey, this time I've sinned. The law is in the right. But when the hail ceased, Pharaoh sinned yet again. It's the same story over and over again. After the locusts are gone, Pharaoh refuses to let Israel go. You know, like Pharaoh, do we say we'll obey God just so that nothing bad happens to us? Are we quick to make commitments to the Lord in tough times and then we promptly forget our commitments in better circumstances? Are we remorseful only because we've been caught and we're embarrassed? Or are we truly repentant, even if no one else finds out? Because our sins are primarily against the Lord. Because of Pharaoh's stubbornness, the plagues merely hardened him in his rebellion and unbelief. 
Now, I, I think you do see God's mercy in this passage. You notice how before the hail falls, God says, send and bring your people and animals indoors. That's a mercy from God. And I think as you hear about judgment, that's a mercy to all of us. God is saying to us, judgment is coming. Judgment is coming, and the sovereign Lord will not fail to bring it. But the fact that we can hear a warning is mercy because, ah, we can flee from the wrath to come. We can take God's word seriously, and like these Egyptians, we can fear the word of the Lord and flee from the wrath to come. When we behold the greatness of the sovereign God, we can either harden our hearts against Him or we can turn to Him and find mercy. As the saying goes, the same sun that melts wax hardens clay. So today, you know, I, I urge all of us, if you hear the voice of the Lord speaking to you from His Word, do not harden your hearts. Do not harden your hearts. He's able to save, and He calls us to turn to Him. His sovereign grace is greater than our sin. How do we know this? Because the true King has come. The finger of God has come, has cast out demons, has raised the dead, and this king has died on the cross for our sins. In a moment, we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper together. So I pray that as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we will remember what this king has done, and that we'll turn to him afresh, trust in his grace, rejoice in his mercy for us, that we may escape the judgment that we so rightfully deserve. Let's pray together. Dear Father, we come to you as your people. And we pray that you would turn our hearts to you. Father, we pray that you would not harden our hearts. We pray that our hearts would be soft to you. Help us to respond to you with repentance and with faith because you are a good God. Oh, work in our hearts now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.